Good morning again. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors at Grace, and I'm so glad that you've joined us this morning. This is our second sermon in our series looking at the book of Galatians. And if you weren't with us last week, uh, this is a letter written by a man named Paul to some churches in the region of Galatia, which we now call Turkey. And he's writing to some folks he knows in these churches, churches that he planted, who have started listening to some teaching from other teachers who came in behind Paul. And he's a little bit concerned. A little bit is an understatement. Paul is concerned that this message they're believing is actually leading them to be enslaved to behavior, to routine. Paul wants to set them free by reminding them of the message he first proclaimed to them, the gospel, the good news of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, which sets them and all who believe in it free. But the question becomes, which teacher should they listen to? Who should they believe? It's a good question for you to ask. How do you respond when somebody says, oh, believe me? Think about that as we listen to the Word of God read for us this morning. This is a reading of Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 24. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. God, we thank you for an opportunity to hear from you in your word this morning. We ask that you would send your spirit to us to help us hear and discern your words spoken through your servant, Paul. Help us to see the gospel contained in, to believe that gospel and to be changed by it as you help us see your love for us. I pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen. Well, it happened again yesterday. I got one of those friendly political texts from a district in a state that I no longer live in. 
encouraging me to vote for certain candidates, vote a certain uh, party line, to vote against certain amendments, things like that, from places like Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, wherever it is. And like all the political texts I get, I just deleted it. Now, it's not that I don't care. It's not that I look at that and think, oh, this is such an important issue. I wish I could vote in that part of the country, but I can't, so I delete it. But really, when I see that the text is coming from someone I don't know, I know I'm going to delete it, right? Isn't that what you do? 99.8% of the time, when I see the text is from a number rather than a name, somebody in my contacts, I'm just going to delete the text. It's amazing to me that technology and instant communication has allowed us to categorize people into contacts, people we're on a first-name basis with, people we like, people we want to talk to and engage with, and then everybody else. These teachers that have come through Galatia after Paul are telling the members of these churches, delete Paul from your contacts. He's not a person who has authority. He's preaching a message you really shouldn't listen to. And we know that they're saying at least something like this, because Paul spends the first chapter of his letter defending his authority, his status as an apostle, which is someone who was sent to proclaim the gospel. But not just a regular apostle, he's a capital A apostle, meaning that he was sent directly by Jesus himself. Paul defends this. He can't even believe that his friends in Galatia would believe this lie about his authority. We saw last week, he starts the letter by saying, I'm astonished. I am shocked that you'd be following the message of these false teachers. His frustration towards them, which is unrivaled in any of his other letters, doesn't diminish at all as he continues on in his own defense. And that's actually the point of this passage. The main point of what's happening here is Paul defending himself and his authority as one sent by Jesus himself which means the message that he proclaims is from Jesus himself. But the way in which Paul defends himself and the message shows us how God works. The way he unpacks his own life, the encounter that he had with the resurrected Jesus and how it affected him speaks to us about how God works today. Now, to be clear, very few, if any, humans have a life and experience like Paul does, but that doesn't mean God works differently in you or I. God continues to work in the lives of every single person that He rescues. God speaks the words of life into dead hearts. God changes those lives that He rescues so that they'll never be the same, and God sends those He's rescued out to live in the world so that they can see the marks of rescue. Those are our three points this morning. God speaks, God changes, and God sends. God speaks, God changes, God sends. Let's start by looking at God speaks. One of the chief arguments that these uh, teachers were making against Paul is that he had just inherited his message from the religious leaders down in Jerusalem, you know, Peter, James, and John, men who were actually with Jesus while he was alive. They were saying something like, Paul just went and talked to them. He took some notes while he was with them, and, and then he came around acting like he was in charge, like he had some authority. 
but really he's got no more authority than we do. Paul refutes this by saying, wait a minute, I wasn't always a follower of Jesus. God revealed himself to me. And then in verses 16 through 19, he says what happened next. He says, I didn't go consult with anybody what I should believe or what I should say. I went to Damascus and Arabia for three years. It's true, I did go to Jerusalem, but I was only there for two weeks, and I only talked to Peter. He calls him by his Aramaic name, Cephas, and I talked to James, the Lord's brother. Paul is saying, it's really hard for me actually to become a full-fledged apostle from scratch in two weeks, just talking to these two guys. But after he was in Jerusalem, he moves on to Syria and Cilicia to preach the gospel. So where did he get that gospel from? If not from Jerusalem, if not when he was in Damascus and Syria, where did he get it? God. God spoke the gospel to Paul. That's what he says in verse 12. For I did not receive it, the gospel, from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The resurrected Jesus appeared to Paul while he was on a journey to Damascus. You can read about Paul's firsthand account in Acts chapter 9. And even though that encounter left him physically, temporarily blind, it opened the eyes of his heart to the truth of God's love, of the sacrificial death of Jesus, and how that opened the door for anyone to become part of God's family, not just the Jewish people. God is the one who spoke that message to Paul. God is the one who speaks the words of life into hearts of those that He rescues. It's God, through His Word and His Spirit, who brings dead things back to life. Now, I know what you're thinking. I've never heard God speak to me. That reminds me of something that happened just a couple months ago. Our neighborhood, the all the driveways slope down to the road. So if you're a seven-year-old or a four-year-old riding your bike along the sidewalk, when you get to a driveway, it dips a little bit, and it tilts you towards the road. And as I would walk my daughters uh, on their bikes, teaching them how to ride, I would tell them when they got to a driveway, pedal faster. Your momentum will keep you from falling. Time and time again, they'd get to a driveway. They'd start to lean, they'd slow down, they'd get afraid, and they jumped off. Sometimes they'd fall, sometimes they'd catch themselves. But every time we got to a driveway, I would say, pedal faster, you'll be okay. And time and time again, they wouldn't listen to me. And then just a couple months ago, they went out for a bike ride with Nicole. And they came back in and they said, Daddy, guess what mommy taught us? If we pedal fast over a driveway, we won't fall. They just didn't hear me saying it those hundreds of times. It took Nicole once, and she taught them how to get across a driveway safely. It is only God's voice who brings new life into your soul. Now, He might use the words of a parent or a friend or a teacher or an author to get those words into your ears, into your mind, but it's only God's voice that can bring your heart back to life. His Spirit whispering the words of life into your heart. Which means that this morning, if you are searching for the right teacher, the right lifestyle guru, the next big trend, the next big blogger to help bring purpose to your life, to rescue you from whatever you're going through, you can go straight to God 
straight to the one true rescuer. And you can pray these words to Him this morning. Speak the words of life into my heart. Rescue me from my sin. And for you, follower of Jesus, who is frustrated or upset that your family member or friend or neighbor or child isn't listening as you proclaim the good news of Jesus, or you who is wondering, how should I even talk to a friend or a neighbor or my parents about Jesus? You can rest. Stop thinking you have to find the exact right moment or the exact right words. Pray to God and say this, speak the words of life into their heart and use me if you'd like. What freedom, what freedom to know that your eternal rescue and the rescue of those that you know and love isn't on your shoulders, it's on God. And He loves, He delights to speak the words of life into those dead hearts. And when He does speak, He changes them, right? God speaks and God changes. Paul doesn't just say, oh yeah, I met God and then I knew what to say, I went and preached the gospel, that's it, that's the end of it. But he actually gives evidence of that encounter by talking about how it changed him, how God changed him. Paul says in verses 13 and 14 that he was advancing in Judaism, that he was growing in his zeal to the point where he was persecuting and destroying churches that were devoted to Jesus. He was so zealous for the traditions of his fathers, as he put it, that he couldn't see how Jesus could in any way glorify God. And so, they stood as a a blockage for him and anyone who wanted to worship God, so he had to take them down. Then after Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul says, the churches of Judea, the area surrounding Jerusalem, they rejoiced, saying this in verse 23, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. God radically changed Paul's life, and God can and has done that in the lives of many that he's rescued. Radical life change. But here's the thing. God is the one who rescues, and God is the one who changes, and that often leads us to a little bit of confusion, sometimes frustration, and sometimes disappointment. We hear about the amazing things that God has done in the lives of others, how He's brought people from hating Christianity to then proclaiming Christ. We see these awesome life changes, and then we get disappointed when God doesn't work that way in our own lives. Or maybe we we find an area of our life we do want to see change, or the area of someone else's life that we want to see change, and we think that's where God must be working. And when He doesn't, man, we're disappointed. Or the opposite, we find these areas of our lives that we think we've got under control. I've got my job, my career right in the place I want it to be. My relationships, it's good. I don't want that to be changed. And then if God changes that or even takes that away from us, we're heartbroken, we're angry. We want God to change us in particular ways, but God is the one who's in charge of the change. The Bible talks about God's rescue of us by using language like setting prisoners free or bringing sight back to the blind or bringing the dead to life. God's rescue is incredibly life-changing, but it doesn't always happen that the way we expect or the way that we want. 
Maybe you remember the story of Milo, of Corton, Croton. Mm. We're going to... Maybe you remember the story of Milo of Cortone, the 6th century Greek strongman who was supposedly able to carry a full-grown bull around on his shoulders. Now, imagine running into that guy with a bull on his shoulders. You'd be incredibly surprised, shocked. That is amazing. That's astounding. But if you had been there 15 years earlier when Milo left his house and went into his backyard and picked up a newborn calf you wouldn't have been surprised at all. That's not a big deal. We got up the next morning and did the same thing as the story goes, day after day. You wouldn't have been impressed. You probably wouldn't have been able to see any change at all. And yet, small, almost imperceptible changes lead to massive, amazing results. God is always at work. God is always changing the lives of those that He's rescued. God is in the life-changing business, and He's powerful enough to do an amazing change all at once, but He's also patient enough to bring subtle, often imperceptible change now, enabling those He's rescued to die unto their sin and live unto Christ, as Paul says in Romans. That's how God is changing us. He's changing us to look more and more like His Son, Jesus. And like Jesus, when He changes us, He sends us out to proclaim His offer of rescue. God speaks, God changes, and God sends. I knew it, Stephen. I knew you were going to say that if I accept Jesus' help, if He rescues me, then I have to do something for Him, right? I have to go and tell people about Him. That's what you're saying. What is it? How many? Seven? Ten? I mean, and what am I even supposed to say? I'm not really good at public speaking. I don't know the words. We'll, We'll talk about this. Calm down. Let's look first at verse 11. Paul says, the gospel that is preached by me is not man's gospel. So first of all, on the surface, hopefully that gives you some some peace, knowing that what Paul was sent to do comes not by his own creation. Paul didn't make up these words. This is the truth of what God has done. So the story's already been written. You don't have to come up with it on your own. But if we look closer at the Greek phrasing that Paul uses, it actually shows us something amazing, something that I was struck by. Paul writes in Greek, the gospel that was gospeled in me, or the gospel that was gospeled through me. In other words, the gospel of Jesus, His life, death, and resurrection for me changed my life, and that change in and of itself is a message right? It's a proclamation of rescue. The change in Paul proclaims the God of rescue that Paul is proclaiming. I'm going to say that again because that's a lot. The change in Paul proclaims the God of rescue that Paul is proclaiming. Have you ever been around somebody who just got their braces off? Or maybe you had braces yourself growing up at some point or recently, and then you remember what it was like to have them taken off What's the first thing that people do? I mean, sometimes they'll run up to you and say, notice anything different? Whether or not they do that, everybody runs their tongue over their teeth, right? Feels weird, feels slimy. There's there's a change. And if you saw someone doing that, running their tongue over their teeth, what would you say? 
you'd probably look at them funny and say, what are you doing? Now, they're not wearing a sign that says, I've had some kind of change. Ask me what's different about me. But something has changed for them. They're interacting with that change, and it leads you to ask a question, right? They are just interacting with the change that happened to them. God sends us out in the same way. After changing us, He sends us out interacting with that change. Recognize that no matter how you wanted God to change you, what you feel about what He's doing in you now, God is changing you. And as you interact with that change, people notice. Maybe God is breaking down the idols of your heart, those things that you run to when you're sad or you're disappointed or the things you run to to help you celebrate and go crazy. And change like that looks like having to be more honest with people about how you feel. Maybe God is growing peace in you, but the way that He's doing that is by causing you to lose control of your children or your job or your future. That's crazy. Or maybe God is changing the way that you view your body, growing dignity in you. And change like that looks like ending some relationships, starting some new routines, or maybe even canceling your subscription to one of those TV services so that you can have a healthier habit, right? Interacting with change like that in the world that we live in is crazy, but that's the way that God changes us. He makes us look more like His Son. In us, He grows love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. But do you know what else they are? They are the marks of rescue. Those whom God has rescued begin to look like His Son. And as you interact with those changes, people will notice. They'll notice as you interact with the the things God is growing in you. That's great, Stephen. Great. What does that mean for me today, though? Like, what does Paul's life and his ministry mean for me? Well, I'll tell you what it means for me. The past six months, shelter in place, it, it hasn't been good for my family. I'm sure it hasn't been good for yours either. My girls are angry. They lash out. They fight with each other, and they yell at us a lot. They miss their friends. They miss their school. They miss their routines. They're heartbroken. They're depressed, and they don't contain it well. But Nicole and I are no different. We feel the pressure to be good parents and now good teachers, good employees, good friends, good kids, good spouses to each other, We're sad at the loss of spending time with friends, of not being able to see our family who lives on the East Coast, and we don't contain it well either. Add to that the past couple of days of oppressive heat, and it's just increased the stress in our home. And many, many times in the past six months, I've thought, we could solve this if I just loved God more if I could just get my children to love Jesus more, if we could just live the way we were supposed to live, maybe if I got up a little bit earlier and and read my Bible more, maybe if I made us as a family pray more, if I could just make us love God more, we wouldn't have these problems. And my self-righteous zeal would take over, and I would become expectant, demanding of myself and my family better behavior, 
more loving, more whatever. And when I failed or they failed, man, I would get angry and frustrated and disappointed. And hearing the story of Paul's life, how God spoke to him and changed him and sent him, brings me rest, knowing that this is God's work. It is God who speaks life into dead hearts. It is God who changes the lives of those He rescues so that they never look the same. And it is God who sends out His people to bear the marks of rescue in a world that needs to be rescued. No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, you know for sure this morning God is at work. Maybe He is speaking to your heart. Maybe He is changing your life. Maybe He is sending you to bear the marks of rescue in the world in which you live. I don't know, but I want you to join me as I pray for us together. God, would you speak the words of life into the hearts of those listening this morning? Rescue those who need rescue. For those who are following you, would you help them see the ways in which you are changing them? Open the eyes of their heart to the work that you're doing, whether they like it or see it or not. And give us all the ability to live in a world that needs rescue by bearing the marks of our Rescuer, our Father, and our King. You, O Lord, deserve all the glory and praise for who you are and what you have done, what you've done in us and for us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.